Let's read from God's word now in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A choir that I was uh, once a member in was once having all sorts of trouble getting the rhythm down of a song that we were going to perform. You know, time and time again, we were practicing the song over and over again, and the conductor just couldn't seem to help us get the rhythm of the song right. You know, we tried clapping our hands to the beat of the song, but that didn't seem to be working. We tried talking the lyrics of the song out slowly, but that still didn't seem to be working. It didn't seem like anything was going to work. And finally, as we were about to go out and perform the song in front of a church, a member of the choir asked if we could go through it one more time so that maybe we could just get it in our heads for like three minutes, go out there and perform it, and then we would be okay. And, and as he asked this question of asking if we could do it once more, he kind of joked and he said, you know, I guess that when God came to hand out rhythm to the people in this choir, a few of us might have been standing behind the door. Um, and from my experience in various choirs, I've realized that rhythm is certainly not a universal gift. And that even applies to Christians. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says that rhythm is some sort of spiritual gift that you get once you become a believer. And I've seen that to be the case in the choirs that I've certainly been involved in. But... In Psalm 19, uh, which is our scripture text for today, we're learning about a different kind of rhythm, a rhythm of life, a rhythm that God has infused into everything that he has created. Throughout Psalm 19, we read about the rhythm of life and how it fits in his created order. As I was preparing this message, uh, one of the first things that I like to do uh, when I uh, write a message is just do a quick read of my scripture text and then write down any questions that I might have that might come up in my, in my mind as I'm uh, just reading it for the first time. I'm, I'm sure most pastors probably do this. And one question 
that stood out to me and perplexed me for many days, actually, was what is the, the connection here in Psalm 19 between this first chunk of the psalm, which is talking about nature, how amazing it is, how glorious nature is, and how we can see God's hand working in it. What's the connection between that and the next section of text, which is talking about the law? You know, from one verse to the next, the psalmist goes from talking about the sun, how it's rising and setting, and it's, that's so amazing to him. And then the next verse, he's talking about the law and how it's reviving our souls. <clears throat> now, some liberal scholars think that uh, this is an example of a place where people, or the people who put the Bible together made a mistake. They might think that these were originally meant to be two different psalms because they're seemingly, on the surface, so different from one section to the next. But upon uh, contemplation of it and reading some commentaries, I realized there's a deep connection and a profound one that really matters for our lives today. And that connection is this idea of rhythm, of a rhythm of life that God has set up in the created order and also that he wants us to follow, which is his law. In creation, we see God's creativity and faithfulness by observing the rhythms of nature. That's clear throughout the first uh, section of this text in Psalm 19. The psalmist makes it very clear that there is no denying this wonderful rhythm that God has set up in nature. You know, <coughs> excuse me, you can see uh, even kind of hints at this rhythm idea as you read, uh, starting in verse 2. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Day after day we see God doing amazing things in nature and in creation. Now, one of the ways that I personally have seen this happening is, um, is uh, in, in nature in uh, northwest Washington in a place that my wife Pam and I are about to move. Um, I'm about to become the pastor of a small Christian Reformed church in northwest Washington state. And I have a picture here of um, a view of a mountain that you'll be able to actually see from our house. This is not the view from our house, obviously. This is from on top of another mountain. Now, my friend uh, took this picture. He went hiking one day. He woke up, looked outside his tent, and this is what he saw. Now, if it were dark in here, you'd be able to see a lot more of the stars uh, and uh, even some of the detail in the mountains. And I would have seen this mountain uh, most days that I drove to work when I lived out in northwest Washington. And every time I saw it, I thought to myself, nature is so amazing. God has created this rhythm, this amazing place for us to live. He must love us so much in order to create that. In creation, we observe nature. When, when we observe nature, we observe God. We observe him saying, I love you. I will never change. Just like the rising and setting of the sun, I am faithful to honor my covenant with my people. That is the rhythm that we see in creation. The psalmist then goes on to praise God for giving us the law. This is the rhythm that we're called to live by personally in our lives. <clears throat> and that got me uh, asking another question of myself. How much do I really love the law? How much do I love this rhythm 
that God has so clearly set before me and has put into Scripture. You know, if I were to give you a couple hours to come up with a list of maybe 20 things that you love, 20 things that you just can't do without that, you know, you think about maybe each day, I'm guessing God's law might probably not make that list. And it, it, for many of us, it might not even be a blip on our you know, mental radar, so to speak. Maybe because we think of the law as maybe one of the top ten things that we wish we could live without sometimes. There's kind of this negative connotation associated with the law because many of us view it as just something that, you know, a list of things that we can't do. And maybe the reason that we associate the law with negativity is because we know that we won't be able to do the stuff in it. That's why I, I believe it's helpful to think of God's instruction, that's the law, as a rhythm that God has prescribed for our lives. This is the rhythm that he wants us to know and follow and live by, and in that rhythm, we can have an abundant life. You know, in the same way that God created a rhythm in nature where, you know, the sun rises and sets, the, the seasons change, the lion eats the zebra, which eats the grass, and there's all these rhythms that we see in creation. In the same way, he's created a rhythm that is the law for us to follow in our lives according to his will. And if you think this rhythm is something that's like a drag on your life, which is so often the connotation that it that it kind of gets in our culture today. Just look at what the psalmist says about the law, about the rhythm that God wants us to follow in our lives. Let's see if the law, that's God's prescribed way of us to live, sounds like something that would be a drain on your life. Let's just look at verses 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. You know, after reading this description, I want what that psalmist has. I want to know what this law is because it seems like he's really got something. He's got something that, that so many people in, in our culture today are looking for, and he knows where to find it, and that's in God's law. The psalm doesn't really tell us what the law is, but rather, it reminds us that for those who follow the law, there is a great reward. It says that right out in the psalm. And in order to understand this idea of like a, a rhythm of life, a rhythm that God has created, it's helpful to, to maybe get our minds wrapped around what an Israelite would have thought about it. It's so clear that throughout the Bible that the people of Israel were seeking wisdom, there were a culture that was seeking after wisdom and many of the things that they would do throughout their lives. You know, they wanted to know how the world works and they wanted to know how to live in that world that God had created. And, you know, these were people who were also in constant contact with nature. And uh, unless any of us are farmers here, uh, they were in contact with nature much more than we are. So they would often look to nature for ways of understanding how God wanted them to live. The ancient Israelite would likely have often thought, you know, to his or herself, um, hypothetically speaking, they would have thought, God is faithful in nature. He's faithful in the things that I see, and I, I see the sun, it rises and sets every day, so God's faithful in that. He's faithful in bringing the seasons each year. He's 
faithful in giving me my daily bread, so God must also be faithful in, in loving us all the time. God must also be faithful in honoring the covenant that he made with our forefathers and consequently with us. You know, for that ancient person, there was a clear function of each part of creation. There was a clear order of each thing that God had created. And in understanding the order and function of those things, they would kind of understand what they were supposed to do. They knew that, that just as it was good for nature to function like it's supposed to, it's good for people to follow God's way of life, to, to follow the rhythm that he set up for us. So uh, you can look through the Bible and you'll find examples of maybe animals being used to teach us lessons about how we should live. Psalm 42, many of us know, talks about, you know, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs after you, O God. And many of us know that song, and, and that's David's way of saying, wow, I saw this deer, and it was in the desert, it was thirsty, and it was running to this water hole. That's what my soul does for God. That's the way that my soul wants God. Or you find another kind of animal example in Proverbs 6, verse 6, when uh, the author of Proverbs, which is probably Solomon, says, go to the ant, you sluggard. You know, look at the ant, and, you know, it wakes up every morning, and it goes about its work, even though nobody's told it to do so. So that's how we should live, too. Another example of the Israelites looking to nature to find maybe some hint of what they should be doing with their lives. Psalm 102, which is not a psalm that's read very often, actually talks about an owl sitting in a city of ruins, and the owl to the Israelites really embodied patience and wisdom. And it's kind of hinting that we need to be like the owl and just waiting for something to happen. In each example, the Israelites saw something in nature that reminded them of how God wants us to live. So there's a connection between this created order that God has made in nature and what we're supposed to do with our lives. But the fuller more, you know, clearer revelation that, that God has a rhythm for our lives is found in his word, in scripture. Watching nature, it can teach you maybe some life lessons. It can teach you that there's like a loving and faithful God who exists. But reading and searching and pouring over and knowing God's word gives us a full picture of God's character and also a fuller picture of how we should respond to God's love for us. You know, for the, for the budding theologians who are perhaps out there, the, there are names for these different types of, of knowledge that we have of God. You have stuff that you see in nature, that's kind of referred to as general revelation that anybody can see. And then there's the stuff we see in scripture, which is very specific to us, so it's called special revelation. And these two ideas of general and special revelation, they really work together they complement one another and when we search for god in both places when we search for him um, in scripture and also when we meet with him maybe on a mountainside we learn what god's rhythm is for our lives we learn how he wants us to live for the israelite person this is gold this is so valuable to them they valued wisdom so highly that it's, it's hard to even understand how they would have sought after it. For the Israelite person, there was a wise way to live that was in a good relationship according to God's rhythm with the environment and especially with God and with other people. 
And there is also a foolish way to live that was with disregard to taking care of God's creation or disregard to our relationship with other people and our relationship to God. You know, in our modern Christianity, I don't think we hear that often about the idea of wisdom, the idea of searching after wisdom like a precious jewel, like, like gold, like David said in this, uh, in this text today. We don't think very often about observing nature, maybe because we don't have that much experience with it, and we don't really think maybe even that often about God's law and about molding our life after the law, you know, which is seen throughout all of Scripture. We talk a lot about the gospel, which is certainly essential. You have to know the gospel. We talk about sharing God's love with other people and helping them understand that God's like not mad at them and he, he loves them. But when I wake up in the morning, you know, it's probably not very often that I wake up and think, I'm going to seek knowledge of God today. I'm going to seek wisdom throughout my day today. You see, our, uh, our theological forefathers, they were actually onto this idea a lot more than our modern 21st century Christianity is. And, and they, they understood this idea of seeking knowledge of God and seeking wisdom. In uh, one of my very favorite parts of our three um, forms of confession, uh, in the Belgic Confession, Article 2, talks about this. You know, we have the uh, Heidelberg Catechism, which I'm sure many of you have studied throughout your life, and the Belgic Confession, which doesn't maybe get as much pub, pub so to speak, and then the Canons of Dort, which maybe get even less. And one of my very favorite things about all those three places is Article 2 of the Belgic Confession, which talks about how we know God. And it answers the question this way. It says... We know him by two means. And listen to this wonderful language. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, since that universe is before our eyes like a beautiful book in which all creatures, great and small, are his letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God, his eternal power and divinity. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.20, all these things are enough to convict men and to leave them without excuse. Second, he makes himself known to us more openly by his holy and divine word, as much as we need in this life for his glory and for the salvation of his own. So it's clear that we're expected to live according to God's rhythm because we have access to it in the things that we see in nature and also have even better access to it in the words that we have in the Bible, in Scripture. But there's kind of a catch here, and you saw it in Psalm 19. The psalmist knew that we can't do it. He knew that he couldn't do it, and he knew that, that we can't do it either. God has a high standard for what that rhythm looks like. God is so holy that it's impossible for us to understand even while we're still on this earth. And he has that same standard of holiness for us. The truth is that I probably don't love the law as much as I should because I know deep down that I can't follow it perfectly. You know, I want to live in God's rhythm. I want to do it, but it seems like I just can't seem to get it all right. The psalmist knows, and we know today, that there is a need for confession. And so he builds it right into Psalm 19 here. He says, forgive my hidden faults and help me to avoid 
sin. Help me to avoid willful sins as well. You know, I do things, the psalmist says, that I don't even realize when I did something wrong. And you know, all of us do that. All of us, time to time, we do things we didn't even realize what we had just done. And, and I think that's a little bit like the person who realize, doesn't realize they have terrible rhythm and, and is in a choir. All of us are a little bit like that person. They, they think they have great rhythm, but in reality, they're just you know a little off the beat. Remember the person that I talked about in that choir? He was trying to sing the song the right way, and half the battle was that he knew that he didn't have the right rhythm, so he was trying to get it right. But there are cases where we think we're doing just fine, we think we've got it all figured out, but we're off of God's rhythm for our lives. You know, our sinful nature is like being born with bad rhythm. Our sinful nature is like being born even maybe with rhythm that takes us off of God's rhythm and what he wants us to live like in our lives. But there is grace. There is good news, brothers and sisters. There is grace that God offers for all of the times that we didn't even realize that our rhythm was way off. Grace is when God says, you know, I see that you're living against the rhythm that I prescribed for your life. I see that you're living against the, the rhythm that I created in, in the universe, in, the, in nature. You're living off the path that I have set for you, but I love you anyways. I have sent my son to die for you, and I want you to be my child. Through Christ, we receive forgiveness for, for living against the rhythm that God has intended for our lives. For the psalmist, you know, he was required to make sacrifices for the times that he went against the law or against the rhythm God made in nature. He was required to make a sacrifice for unknown sins and then another one for the known sins that he had created. And he had to do this each year. But for us, for the believer today, Christ offers a once and for all sacrifice to pay for all of the times that we've gone right against God's rhythm and what he wants for our lives. You know, the psalmist wrote, the Lord is my rock and my redeemer. And we can say that with even more confidence, I believe, today, because Christ has paid for our sins, because we know God even more fully than the psalmist could have because of the incarnation and the person and the death and resurrection of Christ. Not only that, but, you know, Jesus has provided a perfect, perfect example of how to live in that rhythm that God has created. In Christ, we have a redeemer for all of the times that we fail to follow God's law, to follow how he wants us to live our lives. And in closing, I'd like to tell you just about a little news article that I saw. It was, it was on, I think it was WGN News about a month ago. And it was about a church that was um, being fixed up. And in this uh, news article, there was just a snippet about a man who um, had gone into the church, and, and here's his story. He, he had been driving along the expressway next to this church on his way into Chicago to work each day. And he could see the church, he passed by it each day that he went to work. Every day he passed by this, this beautiful building with the domed roof and, and some amazing architectural details outside of it. And each day as he drove to work, he looked forward 
to seeing that church. He looked so forward to seeing something beautiful because I believe there were probably some things in his life that maybe weren't so beautiful. So he looked forward to seeing something amazing each day. And eventually, he pulled off the freeway. He went into the church and found a priest. And he said to the priest, you know, I never really believed in God before. I'm not really like a spiritual religious person. But after seeing this church every day, after seeing how beautiful this building is, I believe that God must love me. So, brothers and sisters, you, your life, the way that you live your life in rhythm with God can be like that church. You can live a beautiful life in rhythm with God and be like that church for people who see you, for people who interact with you every day. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, which is always working and powerfully working in our lives, you can live according to God's rhythm, and you can attract people to God. Amen.